Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. This is Dr. David Proden, and I want to thank you as we begin another journey into school and community safety. If you're looking for industrial safety expert, Appalachian State University professor, Dr. Timothy Ludwig, please visit www.safety-doc.com. Again, that's Dr. Timothy Ludwig at www.safety-doc.com. Com. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast. I am your host, Dr. David Proden. I have on author Ann Sturzinger. Um, Ann, I know your last name is hard to spell. There's an X, <laughs> there's two N's, there's a G. So if you try to search for it, but no, I found it right away. S-T-E-R-Z-I-N-G-E-R. But you're right. You were sharing with me off air that, uh, that sometimes not everyone has has the ability to uh, phonetically spell, apparently. So, um, but thank you for being on the show. Anne um, is very prevalent on Amazon, also on some other podcasts, but I'm going to let her talk about that. So, Anne, please tell us about Anne Sturzinger. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm a jackass, but... <laughs> <laughs> and we're both from Wisconsin. Yeah, we're both we're both from Wisconsin, which is why I'm a jackass. <laughs> but <laughs> now I live in Chicago, so I'm even even bigger jerk. But uh, I, I was I was just thinking that I was a jackass because this is the second time in like an hour I've forgotten the name of the guy we were on a, a podcast with last night, a guy named uh, Michael Kingswood, right? Who introduced himself on Aaron Clary's podcast, uh, Older Brother, which is a lot of fun, as the only non-leftist sci-fi author, and yeah, and that was after I'd introduced myself, and I was I was talking mostly about my fitness book, which is Disaster Fitness, which is how to use disassociation instead of mindfulness to get into shape, and he introduced himself after me, and I was kind of biting my tongue because I was like, "You're not the only non-leftist." <laughs> sci-fi writer buddy <laughs> he, he kept trying to click Anne out of the show last night i'm like it doesn't work that way michael king's would yeah yeah no, no you're right you're right yeah yeah i'll, I'll have to I'll, she's he's thinking i'll have to go to her house and kill her so i can be the only non-leftist sci-fi author <laughs> I'm, I'm also not a leftist. I'm not alt-right, as some people who would like to muscle me out of the sci-fi books market would like to have audiences think, which is a whole nother topic. But uh, I'm, I'm one of those writers who can... Th this isn't just bragging. Like, I've done it. I can write anything. Like, I yeah, can write yeah. anything. Your, your work is amazing. Um, and, and also, um, you can translate from French to English, English to French, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. My my, I've I've got a couple of translations published. I think the most recent of which is in the sky, which it, it was Dans le ciel by Octave Mirbeau, uh, a book that had never been translated into English before, wow. and that's out. Yeah. Wow. Um. So yeah, I mean, your would you say um, you look at the the I don't know 
the unexplored side of the psychological depths of the mind or, or I mean what would you how would you describe your your writing that's that's fair enough I've, I've also been called a miserableist man <laughs> I would never call you that right I mean that's how you've identified your, yourself yeah yeah I mean I th that was actually meant as a compliment like I very I, I sometimes do a very comical but detailed examination of just people waking up and having a terrible day Right. And there's there's some comedy to be generated from that. And I, I actually kind of probably cribbed that from Kingsley Amos, who was one of my favorite authors when I was a very young sprout. He's a, I think you might like him. He was the father of Martin Amos, and he was a, uh, who, who was terrible. And Kingsley Amos agreed. Okay. Like, <laughs> Martin Amos is kind of your your stereotypical baby boomer, very concerned about issues type of novelist. And his father was just a grumpy, drunk old sod who was much, much funnier. <laughs> wow, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I kind of learned from him how to, like, watch a character get up, just have a terrible day, just, just be sort of disgusted and revolted by the world and still make it funny. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's kind of a lot what I do, like, whether I'm dealing with, well, one of the books I put out this year is my first science fiction book, which I've actually been working on this book for about 10 years, and I was trying to shop it for about five years after I wrote it, but um, the left-wing mafia kind of keeps keeps the lockdown in the science fiction market, so... Uh, okay. So, you published... Um through Amazon? I mean, are you, are you with a publishing house or how, can you tell us about that? I'm, I'm with different publishing houses for different books. Okay. Um, one of the books I put out this year was through uh, Storm Rhino Press, which is a men's adventure fiction book, fiction publisher. And uh, uh, people ask me, well, how come they published your book then? And I'm like, because I'm a man. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, it's totally what I was thinking. <laughs> and then they just stare at me. Huh? Well, I can be a man, right? I just decided I'm a man. So, it's but a actually, yeah, everything's yeah. a construct. Yeah, but the the truth is, I was the only uh, uh, adventure fiction writer they could find that could write this particular title. Um, it's it's about um, an American woman whose French husband gets killed by. Uh, sort of a Muslim nationalist street gang because he's half Jewish and also he's Catholic. And so they have to stop him to death. And she goes on this sort of revenge killing spree aided by the British government. And it's, it's kind of a much different book from what I usually write because it's, 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 it's not so much about character and psychology as it is about action. It's just a straight up action book. Awesome. Yeah. What, so what's the title? I've written down the titles, but they're on a different page. And if I move the pages, it's all going to fall apart. Really <laughs> that one, that one is called the Sen Vendetta. Okay. S S E I N E Vendetta. And it's just like a short novella. It's like two ninety nine on Kindle and it's just fun. And tell us about some of the other books. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce Nasquam, which what again means nowhere. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's it's another of my marketing disasters. Um, I thought it would be really clever to name my book in Latin. Ah, all right. 
And so no one can pronounce it, no one can spell it, no one can find it. <laughs> I've listened to Aaron a few times when he was when he would get to that during, you know, the promotional part of his podcast, and then it would just like hit him, and he'd be like, "Oh no, not button." And check out Aaron Zinger's work on Amazon. So I mean, yeah, but yeah, Aaron. By the way, if you ever listen to Aaron pronounce my name, it's different in every single show that he does. <laughs> Even though I've known him for a long time, I constantly am, my, it's changing. So, yes, and, and my website changes and everything else. How should I actually pronounce it? It is Perodin, which apparently is, is French, although I'm not, I'm not into this 23 plus me. Like, everybody I know is like, do the 23 plus me, you know, and find out. I'm like, I don't care. Someone, yeah. someone was like, I just found out like I have like a half brother in North Dakota. I'm, I'm like, what the hell? I don't care. I don't care. And it's just me. I don't care. Okay, I really don't care. I don't. I don't need to do this. I don't need to, you know, piss in a bag and send it to wherever to get analyzed. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, and wh- when you finally decide to kill someone, you don't want to give them that's, a head start on tracing your DNA. I'm like, you know, like they're not keeping this somewhere. Like they're not harvesting this. I mean, this is a bad idea. You know, for anyone who really thinks this through, this is really a bad idea to give this level of personal information, you know, because you never know, yeah, when, when life is going to turn a little sour for you and whatever. Yeah, and what if you find out, out that you're related to your wife? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things you don't want to know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, yeah. Aaron was telling me he's one-eighth Comanche Indian. I'm like, I... I would have never thought it, but, um, so anyway, no, he never said that. Uh, but so you, you also have, um, light now is, is life a novel or is, is like L Y F E, but life, wh- how would you describe that? It's, it, it's, it's the first quarter of a really long science fiction novel that I spent about 10 years plotting and writing Nusquam which actually was kind of a men's rights novel that was written before the men's rights movement, so it never got credit or became part of that. But that, that was written based on my thought that, like, um, I, I was living in southern Illinois at the time, and I was, it, it was just a miserable place to live. And I thought, well, how could this be more miserable? If I could make this a little bit more miserable, I could make a novel out of this. And I, what would make it more miserable? What if I was raising a kid here? And then I thought, well... I wouldn't end up having to raise a kid here because I'm a female and I would have a choice as to whether to have the kid or not. Sure. So I would have to be a male for that to happen. Like to, you know, like, like you can't trick yourself into getting pregnant, but you can trick your husband into getting you pregnant. Right. right? Anyway, that's, that's where that came from. It was like a, a guy who gets trapped into this pregnancy with this woman he loves and then everything just goes south because he didn't want to have the kid. And, uh, that, that, that that's that's where that came from, but it was before the men's rights activist movement, so it was right. kind of like a proto men's rights activist novel. But I was writing that as sort of training to write my science fiction novel. Okay. I had the idea for this science fiction novel, and I realized, unlike a lot of like sort of snooty literary fiction fiction authors, that like writing literary fiction is actually a lot easier. Than writing a good science fiction book. Because okay. yeah, tell me about that. Why? I mean, why? I mean, it's easy to write a crappy science fiction book. You just right. come up with a dumb plot and you go through the paces. 
But if you're going to write a good science fiction book, you have to do everything that a literary author does, except you also have to construct a world. Like, if you're going to make a really high-quality science fiction book, you have to have characters, you have to have plot, you have to have everything else. But at least in a literary novel, you just plunk that into your city. Gotcha. Whereas, like, with if for a really high-quality science fiction novel, you have to do all that and then make the city. I love Rick and Morty. And by the way, um, I, for those of you watching, this this is Rick. This is, this is Mr. Beasts. So anyway, awesome. um, we talk about science fiction, but yeah, yeah, no, I I get it. Um, that's and so let me let me let me take it down. So first of all, Ansterzinger on Amazon. Just just go in, um, and, and that'll that'll lead you to um, your published works. Also, the website though is is if you just Ansterzinger dot com, right? Yeah. And then from there you can get to the podcast your um, on which are can you help? Oh, the, the Savage Hippie podcast. Yeah. I should put a link to that on my on my website actually, but that is actually through. The Savage Hippie blog, okay. but you can you can get to it on YouTube by just googling YouTube Savage Hippie podcast. Gotcha. I, I think we actually put the videos up on David Cole's channel. I, I was able to check out um, parts of the Talkative Corpse, which is um, one of your books with a main character, um, John Jago, right? G J A um, G G J. A G G O, yeah. and basically, so the the premise, if I'm correct, is um, kind of like more more or less um, modern day, kind of a, a, a male struggling with with just where's his place in society. He decides to put this into a diary, um, dies, and what is it? Centuries later, they they discover this diary, like future civilizations, you know, just kind of discover this diary, and they're reading through it, and they're like, man, this. This really sucks. <laughs> society was really awful, and, and what he had to go through. Um, I don't know. I wrote down. I mean, it re, it reminds me. There was an episode. You remember the the um, it was on Comedy Central, but it was Futurama. The mm -hmm. okay, so there was an episode on Futurama, very very close to that actually, where where um, yeah, something where they go back to like old New York and and they're digging through and whatever, and they find some stuff, but. Um, so in the, I, I wrote down a question. Um, so the talkative corpse, which I, which this is in my inbox in Amazon. Um, and everybody's like, do you have Amazon prime? I'm like, no, I'm like, I'll, I'll the eight days to, to get it. I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> um, everyone's like, what? Um, yeah. And then one time I like, you know, they, they try to like trick you into it and then, and then you have to, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not paying. I don't know. It's just me. I mean, anyway, but talkative corpse. So, um, so I'm kind of thinking, so he's doing this diary and what I'm thinking as I'm reading through the, the, the pieces of this is I'm thinking this is kind of maybe inspired by like Hamlet from Shakespeare and to be or not to be a little bit. And here's why I say that, because, you know, when Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, at least my interpretation of Hamlet was um, Shakespeare was like, well, you know, obviously to be or not to be, either there's a heaven or there's a nothingness. I mean, it was kind of his, his thing, if, if I'm interpreting right and, and perhaps or not. But, um, but really, the whole thing with Shakespeare, in my interpretation, is he's writing this because he really wants to be remembered. 
his leg. He wants to create a legacy because he knows he's going to die. So right. that's kind of the hidden thing is like by actually doing his works, he's creating his legacy because he's, he knows, but he's not like overtly saying that he's kind of like playing it middle of the road. So I'm kind of wondering if like the, the main character in the talkative corpse is also a little bit kind of like a, you know, like a Shakespearean of like, I know I'm going to die. I know what it, but this is going to become my legacy. So this is really not just for him, but this is a legacy, um, manuscript a, a legacy tale that he's putting down um so people re- bring him to life again by reading the words am i am i at all correct in my interpretation of that or no i hadn't thought of that overtly but hamlet's soliloquy is the only like classical piece of drama i've ever memorized and performed so it, it, kind, of, kind of like the futurama episode i didn't purposefully use it but it's probably in there in yeah. the brain you know and that's i mean that's that's something that everybody struggles with but yeah if you read hamlet at an early age it kind of focuses it for you like and yeah. i also had a lot of loved ones die at a at an early age and right. so it was very like front of mind at the time that you were i was getting that in you know beginning literature classes like you're gonna die and maybe there is no god and maybe there is no heaven and so like what are you going to do to make things a little bit meaningful? So maybe, I, I think he's, he's probably thinking that too, because, you know, as you said, he's, well, you're, you're my generation. We kind of, like, it was set in 2011, which was kind of the year we fell through the cracks. You know, there's, especially in the media, have you, have you noticed, like, it just went from everything being all baby boomers to everything being all millennials? Yeah. Like, yeah, and actually, you know, and I, I've kind of honestly like unplugged from the media to the extent where people will ask me the weather. I'll be like, I don't, I don't, know. <laughs> I have no idea. It's gonna be ninety-one this weekend, really. I'm like, okay, you know, like I, I even those type of things. I'm, I've just, um, yeah, I, I've completely and I, I strategically download my podcast for the week, and really that's my source of knowledge outside of grounded knowledge of you know what I can observe in my environment or selectively like go out and, and obtain, you know, yeah. but, um, yeah, I, I have, uh, um, yeah, admittedly, I, I've just, I've just completely kind of disconnected from that, which I, I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't feel bad about it. Um, I mean, I feel much more informed because I can go out and selectively and, and same thing with research. I mean, I can, I can find the research articles that I want and studies and things like that. And, Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. First of all, your work is amazing. 
Um, I was able to uh, listen to you on some podcast and through um, and and to locate some of your things. So definitely a fan. I haven't known Anne that long. We have a mutual friend, um, Aaron Clary. And so I was able to, through um, Aaron, you know, learn more about you and then and then start to um, research and and invite you on to the show Um, because also you have I think a a lot of perspective into our topic for today which is um, focusing on psychological safety so it's a safety doc show so I get into (laughs) agency purpose and then also you know obviously the things such as physical safety but the last episode was um, like the seven well it wasn't titled this but it's really like the seven reasons why surveys suck and never take and make surveys and I broke it down into like even the most significant multi-million dollar surveys are all like horribly flawed and and the and the data is 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 there's no inter-rater reliability and it never gets to the unit of measure and kind of like laid that out actually really well like when i got done with them like i should write this in in a book that would you know be anti-establishment and destroy any chances of going for tenure at some point (laughs) down the road but you know we'll see how that goes um Something though that that has uh, rapidly developed, um, and, and I think today we'll kind of maybe keep it to the post-secondary setting. Although this isn't exclusively post-secondary, this is showing up um, in um, public um, employers, prim- primarily probably public employers. I I don't know so much about private employers, but I do know public employers. So we're talking public uh, government agencies and things like that. But it's safe spaces. And then what's new, at least what I've seen new, is, is cry spaces. Um, so both of these don't resonate well with me. So I guess, you know, I try to keep positionality at bay at some of, with, with some of this, but I'm going to put right out there at the start. Um, I'm, I don't like where this is going, and I want you to be honest with me if, if I'm... Um, I'm looking at this uh, from a narrow perspective. I mean, I'm, I'm, sur- I'm, I'm, I'm looking for your input. I'm also looking for a, an honest member check on this because I think this has just gone way over the, the top. And I've been reading. What I did is I also went through tons of articles from various universities. And, of course, you know, finals just got done. So everyone's talking about, oh, their safe spaces and their cry spaces. And so safe space is where you can go. Um, if you feel, I don't know, there's, I have a definition of it, um, but it's like, you know, if, if you, oh God, uh, what, okay. A safe space is a place or environment. I took this off a university site in which a person or category of people can feel confident that they will not be exposed to discrimination, criticism, harassment, or other emotional or physical harm. Interesting. Um, and then now actually a cry room, which is, I had never seen this before. <laughs> Um, but a cry room is, is think of it almost as a closet in, in a sense, like it's a very small area and it is, it's, um, has, uh, soft surroundings, like stuffed animals, literally stuffed animals, soothing colors and music. And you can go in and just cry for 10 minutes. You have to sign in. Uh, and then after 10 minutes you cry, you know, and, and you're good and you leave apparently. Um, but this is real stuff. And it is being championed by counseling departments. It's being championed by deans. And also, um, the vibe I'm getting very clearly is if you 
challenge this, um, for example, challenge a safe space and don't support it, you can be accused, as if you're a professor, um, of creating a hostile, contributing to a hostile work environment that you're not supporting your students. This can be means for um, separation from employment. Working in an expert witness role, if you have that come against you, it's almost impossible to defend yourself because what happens, the HR tactic and something like that with a professor would be, um, we're freezing your email, you're, you're frozen all out of your records, um, you are on leave, you're not going to be on campus until we get this investigation done. And it's like, I mean, we're not talking about somebody who's, you know, in, embezzled and, and other things. We're talking about somebody who might have said to a student, um, you know, I really would like you to stay in class and, and we can work through this. Maybe it's a class on debate or something. Um, but no, that's obstructing that student. Now they can't leave and go to the, the safe space. Um, to the point where I actually read an article where one professor said, I saw a student literally maybe like two hours during a semester, the student would show up and within a few minutes would just kind of leave class and go to the safe space. And then the student at the end of the class um, was demanding a B and also had written off. This is something too that's happening now. Parents um, can access the, the grades and, and have access to the professors so they can come in and complain to the professors on behalf of their 20 some year old child. Um, so, I'm looking at this. Just give me give me your reaction right off the bat of the safe space, and and I have another safe space to 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 share that that isn't college related, which is pretty. I mean, it just shook me. But what what are you thinking when you hear this stuff? Well, my my very first reaction was I was raised Catholic, and I've heard the term cry room before. What a cry room was in the 1970s and 1980s was a glassed-off room in the back of a Catholic church where you stuffed the people who had small children, like tiny babies, that they couldn't stop from crying so that everyone else could hear the priest. Right. So yeah, I, was Catholic. I remember the cry room. We had, we had one uh, at the church I attended on Easter and Christmas. Yeah, so, yeah. so I, guess, I guess in a sense, if it's going to protect the rest of the class from listening to some little pussy beller, then maybe it's a good idea. Because <laughs> if, if someone's crying so loud that you can't hear the teacher, maybe it's better for the rest of the class. But I get the feeling at this point the rest of the class is going to be in there in the cry room with them. Because now crying is like yawning, and if you hear someone else cry, you'll remember that your dog died once, and you have to go in the crying room, too. But as for the sort of, it's very ironic that they have such draconian rules around safe spaces. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it actually reminds me of the, of the Dead Kennedys song about the... God, how did that go? I can't remember the lyrics right now, but basically enforcing niceness and happiness at the point of a police baton. Like, you're going to be happy, you're going to be nice, or we are going to, uh, we are, we are going to ruin your career. Um, wow. Wow. Um, I, I didn't realize it had actually gotten that bad, but it's, the, the contrast is kind of odd between the way people want their physical world to be absolutely free of anything that they interpret as violence, which is a whole nother can of worms. Like we've confused words with physical violence and people are starting to perceive them as the same thing. Right. Right. 
like yeah so i mean so we're from you know the same generation and i I was thinking back 25 years ago you know when i was kind of starting out in college and like there was nothing like like this like nothing anywhere any nothing i mean i i I don't i i guess there probably was like a counselor on campus or something you know like that you could go but nothing like this i mean and these things are like overtly um you know posted all over the place you know that you have access to this and then the again the students being made aware of it and the instructors saying you know the the deans telling the instructors if that student gets up and leaves like you do not say anything to them you don't you know stand in their way or whatever because then that is that's basically um in a, a form of aggression, a microaggression from your standpoint of not honoring their ability to, I don't know if you call it self-regulate or identify that they need to go to this space to, and I, I don't know. And then know. they so, wonder why they're shooting each other when they don't get their way sexually. Yeah. I, <laughs> you, you bring up a good point that, I want to jump into in just a second, which gets into to the whole coping skills and debate skills. Um, so I was a special education director um, for, you know, K-12 school district for a number of years, different districts. And actually, I remember when kind of a safe space emerged in the districts, but it wasn't a safe space. It was, it was for um, students with uh, sensory needs. For example, um, autism, um, right. and or or other things would manifest sim- similar to that. Um, so, if, if there was a certain location, student needed to go to um, and sit on a beanbag with you know headphones, where they were pressing up against their ears for fifteen minutes or something like that. So it was very medical. It was, and, and it that's the way that it was treated. And there was you know a certain time. Um, limits to it or it could be proactive like at certain times during the day the student would go and see this but very much the medical side was involved so you know i saw that as okay that you know it's 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 a reaction to again an increase in autism and, and other things that are that are being observed in the school but then all of a sudden it made the switch and the switch i would say maybe five years ago maybe 10 at the longest of of becoming the safe space but definitely like if it started to turn it just like everything is just like going over you know a little bit of water was trickling over and now it's like boom all yeah. the is just given way and like for everything <laughs> is just like boom carving out like you know the uh, it, it, it's the, you know, 10,000 years ago, the, the glaciers retreating. And, um, so I look at this and from, you know, an empirical standpoint, I, I, if I don't see any research, one that really supports this, I see it as escape strategy really. And, um, we're not teaching coping. So that's, that's out the window and we're not teaching, um, Debate. I mean, that's that's another thing. We we cherished d- debate as a civilization for centuries. It's ancient, and I remember growing up and watching. Um, so this would have been, I mean, probably in the 
early 80s, late 70s, like watching on TV. I wasn't old enough to participate, but the debate teams in the local schools would be on, you know, like at Sunday night at 630, like, you know, this school versus this school in, in the debate thing. And that's how much, um, you know, there were the, the classes, the practices. It was almost like a sport. That's gone. Like when I went to high school, like we didn't, we weren't taught anything on debate. I mean, nothing was out there. So, and it's, you know, debate is critical to understanding, obviously, perception, understanding different viewpoints. People always, I mean, now when I talk about that, people are like, well, you know, debate is, is, you know, they associate debate with the rhetoric that they see on TV. Like debate is Berkeley and it's the riots and stuff like that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like true debate is really like getting to know. And it doesn't mean you have to agree. Debate doesn't equate to degree. Debate just means to informing yourself and then possibly putting together an argument that will inform and shift someone else's opinion. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, but at least like you're informed. Um, but people become, the debate is gone. You cannot teach debate. And I've talked to um, university professors on this to- topic just in the last year. And they said, we can't, we, we won't even touch it. We will not touch debate. And it can be something super benign. Like, um, you know, what is, let, let's debate whether or not um, there should be year round schooling or whether or not kids should go to school at nine o'clock because of biological, you know, it's, it, there's been studies and whatever versus um, continuing with eight o'clock, things like that. Not like debating guns or debating, you know, um, Marxism, socialism, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, things that are going to be relatively objective and safe, they won't touch it. And they said, actually, people, once once their opinion or once their position gets challenged, they crack. Then it's safe room time. Then it's cry room time. And, uh, and it's freaking me out because I'm like, whoa, we are losing. We, we are to lose debate to me is terrifying. So, I mean, tell me what you're thinking, Anne. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize it was quite that bad, which is, it's really tragic because we have this tool that we could be using to debate the internet, but I guess that explains why debate on the internet is not meant to inform or challenge oneself. It just turns into Twitter mobs because apparently that's what young people think a debate is. Um, were, were you watching the Monk debates the other night when um, Stephen Fry and Michelle Goldberg and Jordan Peterson and Michael Eric Dyson were on? Did you oh, did you catch that? I did not know. Ah, well, uh, long story short, th- these were adults, but it still broke down into people just like their positions. Well, Stephen Fry was was magnificent, but it, it broke down into, into people like not being able to engage the subject when their positions were challenged and just calling each other names. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I, I saw a meme of it and they said that Michael Eric Dyson, who is a, a, a black evangelical preacher, um, called Jordan Peterson, a kind of a mean white man. And I was like, that has to be a joke, but no, he called him that twice during the debate. Because, well, I think, I think the problem with Michael Eric Dyson is that he is a preacher and he's used to being able to stand in front of people and threaten them with hellfire. Sure. So his, his rhetorical, like his rhetorical bag of tools is all like blowtorches. 
Yeah. And and the people who are afraid of going to hell like see the blowtorch and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you got the answer. And like in an actual debate that was, you know, the people he was talking to weren't afraid of anything. Like he very quickly got frustrated that his debate tools weren't working and just descended to calling people things that don't even sound like something that really happened in a in a debate. And this is an adult man. Um, yeah. Yeah. And this is some of the best debating, like the monk debates are very well respected. And this is kind of the best it gets. Like, you know, Stephen, Stephen Fry kind of showed everyone how to do it, but he couldn't get anyone to engage with him. Right. And, you know, they're not being taught debate in school. And then they're seeing this on the Internet as like, this is how grownups talk. Like, there's, I mean, there are grownups out there talking, but. Right. But like I was saying before, I mean, nobody wants to listen to baby boomers anymore. And our generation has, we're, we're such a small demographic that people tend to ignore us. You know, we're, we've, we've kind of never been a target demographic for the media. It went from everything being like baby boomer geared to millennial geared. So between kids not learning to debate in school and then the internet, which could be this wonderful tool, becoming this sort of place where people call each other names and use ad hominem attacks, and you know that's that's the that's the first and last thing in their bag of tricks. Um, it's it's kind of a giant waste of the internet. Oh, it absolutely is. <laughs> it is. Um, you're right. It's it's like we've been given um, this tool for information and then also to cross reference and, and, and go historically and things that we could have never, um, done, you know, just in a short amount of time. And it is, and I don't know if, I wouldn't say it's positionality so much as, um, just people feeling that somebody described it as, um, social media, like, like Facebook, you know, basically I have to get the likes and I'll do right. whatever I have to do to get the likes. Um, and we, you know, that objectively is happening and, and, and things like that. And I think people also, it's, if, if you don't get the like, um, and if you don't get the like when you are communicating something, then it's like, there's nothing else. I mean, you'll dwell on that one challenged position or even like if it's not, even if there's a counter position, not that someone is challenging you, but there's just like, there's another, um, you know, there's a, there's a secondary or, or third position to look at, you know, some other factor to come, come in. And, uh, so, you know, so I'd look at in my notes here, um, so, okay. So the cries, the cry spaces, so if you're able to go to a safe space or a cry space, um, I'm thinking of that, and it reminds me of when people, you know, kids or adults are prescribed medication, um, with, you know, um, you know, Xanax or I don't know, whatever the hell it is. Um, but you're prescribed, and then it's like no one sees a therapist. I mean, you get the medication, and that's it. And I, and I see this as, as being very similar to that. I mean, it's a medication without a, a quote-unquote therapy or at least like an education on, on perspectives. And um, there was an article, and I, I did it right before, you know, we did our show, started our show. I, it was in 
2010 from the University of Michigan, but actually there are very there there are many similar studies, um, and, and they go all the way up to 2017. But um, the quote is: "Today's college students are not as em, uh, empathic as college students of the 80s and 90s." And they had um, 14,000 college students over 30 years that they had looked at in this one study. But basically they're saying in, in the year 2000, like they just totally saw it fall off the, the map. I mean, that empathy was there. And then after 2000, like it was gone. Um, and, and then they, they kind of guessed at like why that happened, which I thought really sucked for a research article. I'm like, ooh, like, you know, don't, don't get into this. Like, you know, if you don't, but they're saying maybe it's video games. Maybe it's like people are too consumed with their own problems. I mean, they actually put this, and I'm like, well, to me, to me, I don't buy that because like my my mom went to school and was raised was an elementary school when they had the uh, World War II. So they would do the the air raid siren, and you know everyone would have to get under the desk and and stuff like that. And I mean, we were raised during a time of the Cold War, so I mean, you had those pressures going on. It was very very prevalent 1983 the movie the day after on on abc which was you know the the real you know very raw um what it would be like for a nuclear war sting i hope the russians love their children too i mean so it's not like these things are new and but all of a sudden it's like 2000 is the demarcation line and i found that in some other studies like i'm, I'm going through and i'm like yeah like two, 2000 so i'm <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what happens because usually you can figure this out by doing something called the transference dynamic and you can work it backwards to when people were growing up and kind of find what was influencing them. So it might've been some, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for it. I know that the rescue that I, I have a book um, I'm working on, um, I do have a publisher for it, but it's called Lessons of Lower Manhattan, and, and I go, th- I kind of get behind the psychology of why 500,000 people were rescued in nine hours um, without any fatalities and with high level of cooperation during, um, you know, during the 9/11 from Battery Park um, in New York. But, but I'm like, uh, I don't know, I don't, I can't figure out like the transference dynamic as I'm as I'm looking at this. I don't know why that happened, but, um, but so. I, I, I'm sitting here and I just, I just don't know. I don't know where this turns. I, I, I don't, I don't know. So, so here's one thing. And like, if I'm in post-secondary and I'm a professor, like rigor has got to be out the window. I mean, you can't challenge people anymore. You can't because the moment you add stress, the moment you push them a little bit beyond their comfort zone or, or whatever, you know, we call it the Taurus, um, to our us you know this i'm just but i mean for the for the people listening um i, I think it's you know you can come away from the podcast i learned a new word today is taurus so was that made by ford yeah it was but um but the you know the thing is it's getting out of your what what your similarity is i mean every, your everyday thing and, and, ch- and that's how we grow i mean and that's just how we grow animals grow things like you know that are sentient grow um but you can't do that. You cannot do that. You've got to actually go below the standard to guarantee success. So rigor's gone. Um, and if you throw rigor out there, um, you, you run the risk of, you know, pushing people into this, the, the safe room and the cry room. And then you become the person who is invoking a hostile environment. Um, so, so 
you know, what's the value of the high school degree? What's the value of a college degree in these public places? So this was a story, honest to God, after um, the election, after after Trump won, uh, somebody that I know that works at a state organization here in Wisconsin talked to me and said, yeah, like we we had a safe room created and you could just go there for a couple days, like after the election. And this person didn't create, it was just telling me and like, no one's really supposed to know about. And it's like a real high level organization. (laughs) And, um, and you, you know, and you could go there and you could, you could, you know, you know, be sad and, and drink tea and listen to soft music. And, you know, and I'm like, what in the hell? I'm like, really? I'm like, you're not, you're not just come on, really. You're not just no. This person's spouse actually works there and was telling this, and and was was as appalled as he was in telling me this. But it was one of those things too, where if you didn't um, completely support it, you were seen as anti-establishment. You were seen as yeah contributing to this hostile. Um, you know, potentially hostile work setting because you're not supporting the the safe room. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it would disrupt solidarity. But it became this excuse. Like he said, as it went on, people would just walk out of meetings because they would become overwhelmed with a presentation or something and they go. And it was just like accepted. I'm like, can you get paid for this? Yeah. Like you're getting paid? Oh. Uh, yeah, that's I, – I mean, I'm people are always looking for excuses to be lazy. But – um, I, 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 I'm, I'm just going to make a joke quick and then say something serious. As a novelist, you know, I have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I think empathy is dead because people quit reading novels around the year 2000. There's research that supports that, Anne. There is really? research that supports that. Absolutely. <laughs> there is. Yes. You're, you're right on with that. It, it's wow. the, and, it, and, it, and it comes back to the lack of being able to take a perspective or to see something through another person's eyes, basically. Um, you're right on with that. So wow. I, I don't know if you knew that or not, but but there mm. are, um, yeah, um, convergent empirical studies that support that. Damn. I mean, I, I probably got along with men a lot better after I wrote a novel from a man's point of view because you learn to see things from another person's point of view. But if you're never even allowed to have to work through your own emotions, you know, the old thing that your grandma used to say, like, you, you can't love anybody else till you love yourself. You can't have empathy for others till you're familiar with your own feelings. If you're never forced to sit through your own feelings, you don't even understand how you feel. How are you going to ever under, understand the other person? And now instead of reading novels and like seeing the actual insides of other people's heads when they're unguarded, people are spending that free time on Twitter with their dukes up, like, you know, trying to, trying to get those likes and seeing just the most superficial facade of everyone else. You're getting all this quote unquote real human contact, but you're, it's, it's all with like this personality they're projecting on Facebook. You're not actually reading about what goes on inside other people's heads in the form of a novel. But Another, but this this brings me to another massive resource that we're wasting, the way that we're wasting the internet. Cognitive behavioral therapy has made huge strides yes. in the last few decades. In And I've been through it. It's helped me immensely function as a human being, 
by learning to sit with my own feelings, learning to self-soothe, learning to like be in the middle of a stressful situation and know what to do to calm myself down. And instead, we have all this research, we know this works, we have all these techniques, we have trained psychiatrists who know how to teach people how to do this, but instead we're just saying, okay, here's your teddy bear, go lock yourself in the closet. You're right, you're right, absolutely, absolutely. It's not being coupled um, to, um, as you've said, to therapy, and um, CBT is what you're talking about, right? Because CBT also is is strongly based upon uh, goal setting, and goal setting is something that is, again, not taught in schools. Um, I, I talked to a researcher, um, did a, a thesis on goal setting, so interviewed, you know, a, population of students that wasn't you know like massive but not one had could identify the components of a goal um you know goals that they had set i mean didn't understand it so it was one of these things too where you it was living in the the moment it was existing and you could be externally manipulated pretty fast through like social media but you couldn't see six months from now a year from now two years from now three years from now here's where i'm kind of putting my trajectory which is really what um, helps you in cognitive behavioral therapy, and at least in my analysis of, of CBT. And we did have students receiving CBT when I was um, a, a special education director, not through the school, but through outside agencies. Um, so, and you know, in, in Aaron Clary's book, uh, Reconnaissance, I'm not sure if you had a chance to read um, that. I, that was one I downloaded on audio which um, I, I really liked, but like Aaron's like, it'll be a breeze. Like, you'll just go in and I'm like, no, it wasn't at all. Like, it was horrible. <laughs> I'm like, I love it. I loved it, but like, I don't have the Kindle and I was trying to, I'm just trying to get the goddamn MP3. Like, how do I get this? <laughs> like, I just bought it and it, you know, just go in, Dave, it's fine. Like, it'll be great. You know, and, and no, but anyway, but he, but, but he talks to, uh, reconnaissance gets into, you know, a young person going out on their own and kind of just discovering things. And, um, you know, I might, because, you know, if, if they like to hike, you know, maybe they want to go live here for a while or, um, you know, what it, whatever their interests might be that they match that up or that they do do some traveling in different countries, whatever it could be. But then through that, you know, it starts to develop, you know, what your goals are because you, you start to figure out what I like and what I don't like. So my goals are going to be to bring me back to what I like. So um, just things like that, too, which um, I did a podcast on there was a sh- there was a s- school district outside of 22 miles outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And about three months ago, they the parents of the eighth graders said no to the class field trip to Washington, D.C. Approached the board and said, no, it's too dangerous. They're, it's, a, it's a terrorist target. We don't want our kids going to Washington, D.C., so forget it. The trip is done, which they had done for years. The superintendent said, you know, I've gone to D.C. Like, I've taken my family to D.C. Like, I'd like you to reconsider. And they're like, no, we're not doing this. So right there, they screw their eighth grade kids out of an opportunity to experience a little more of the world than 22 miles outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. And then um, just empirically looking at that, I talked, I, I, I ran some numbers and it was an equal risk that a student would be killed on the bus ride over <laughs> as they would be killed in a terrorist attack on DC, which were both, um, 
much more um, you were much more likely to be hit by lightning than to have either of those events happen. So it was this completely false, you know, but what was being conveyed to those kids by the parents is reconnaissance. You can't do it. We'll bring you, we'll bring it to you. We'll bring the virtual reality glasses to you. You'll get to experience Washington D three Washington DC through the positionality of someone that we're paying a couple thousand dollars to put this program together and we're all going to walk around the gym and Hey, here's the constitution that you're holding, which is really just a piece of copy paper from the, you know, I mean, it's just, it's nuts. Wait a minute. They, they, they actually set up a virtual trip. That, that is actually happening right now. That is actually happening right now. There are companies that market this to schools and they're marketing on the safety angle. They're saying, oh, yeah, you you do not. It's not a, on a, the economy angle. It's not saying this will be cheaper for you. It's on the safety angle, which is where parents go. Parents go. And I, working in safety, that's you are much more likely to get parents um, hooked on on the rhetoric of safety because you see that, you know, in the news uh, so much more than than, you know, cost effectiveness. But no. So it's completely safety. So yes, you've just taken uh-huh. as as you've said that that empathy, being able to process um, through you know like if you're reading through someone else. I mean, here it's like it's complete positionality. It's not reading many books. It's not whatever. It's not finding your genre, your interest, and stuff like that. You're you're totally like here's Washington D.C. from um, <laughs> Carol's perspective. You know, and 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 we hired Carol as a grad student, <laughs> and she just put this together. <laughs> With right. like a go cam and she has no vested interest and she's from New Jersey, by the way, and wants to get the <laughs> hell out of there. So, um, so I'm like, damn it. You know, I'm, I, I, I see these things slipping away and I guess, and I have some, well, I mean, I have some vesting in this. I mean, there's a certain, it's funny because like my, my mom, my mom and dad, especially my mom used to always say like, well, you're young, you can do anything you want. And then like now, like I'm not, she's gotten to the point Well. Yeah, you're not really young anymore. So. <laughs> you're probably pretty. Yeah, you're you're, you're kind of doing what you're gonna do. You know, you're, so you're kind of stuck now. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah. It's somewhere you hit that mark just in the last few years where it used to be like championed of yeah yeah, and then no no you're it's this this is where you're at, buddy. Um, <laughs> but but I feel I have you know I have two daughters and I'm. I'm very concerned because, you know, what's the world going to be like for them, of course, which is selfish, but I mean, it's, I would want, I guess, that for everybody and not to get into, I mean, this, this could broaden out into so many things, but my daughters talk to me and they'll say, yeah, a kid at school went in the comfort corner today. I'm like, comfort corner? What the hell is the comfort corner? Well, that's where you go and it's, it's got a beanbag and it's got like a divider and you can put headphones on and I'm like, Oh no, no, no. And I'm like, you've, and, and so I'm like, why, why? Well, you know, they're just, you know, they're just kind of stressed out during the reading test or what. So that, you know, they don't really know. I mean, they don't know what's happening. Um, and I'm, and, and anybody can go. So like anybody, it's not like just for these three students, it's like anybody can, can go, but I'm, but I'm kind of like, don't go to the comfort <laughs> corner. I mean, it's one thing. You know, if, if you're at school the next day and, and something has happened, you know, grandparent has is, is passed away a couple of days previous and, and something, and, and hopefully the counselors. I mean, I can understand that. But if this is just, God, I don't know how in the hell to spell Nosquif, ben, you know, it's Dan Sturgender book. Damn it. <laughs> just put your pencil down and then you just walk back to the corner. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. I mean, I'm like, no, don't, don't. And my oldest daughter, who's a middle schooler, like she totally gets this. And she, she gets it that it's a racket, you know, like that the one kid will just squirm on the floor and do the stuff. And then boom, he's out of there because like, and then he's off doing whatever he wants to do. And, you know, so I celebrate with them that they, they work through their, their things. I mean, and, and, uh, but oh, like but, hear- but but alas, unfortunately, they're going to be stuck being the only real people. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, because then they go into a society where they are interacting and or possibly serving, you know, depending upon what what they go into, you know, if it's medical, if it's nursing or whatever. Well, these are the people who you're going to be serving, uh, right? Um, you know, who've just overdosed on for the third time you know, this month or, you know, who decided to, you know, cut the tree down without a support and, the branch, you know, <laughs> fell on them or something like that. I mean, just stu- stupid things. And, um, uh, you know, but, or people who are going to be like super rude and abusive to you, even though you're going to give them the best of your heart and, and things like this. Um, you know, which is, I, I, w- my daughters are in dance and, um, and it's something they want to do. I mean, we never, they, they just enjoy it and they have a good time with it. There's no stress. And it's not like they're on the dance team, which really gets official and bitchy too, because like the moms, like one of them, I know she's like, you know, I'm sick and tired. Like they're not practicing tumbling enough or whatever. And things. I don't know. I don't care. I, I mean, I'm, you know, whatever. And, you know, so we got beat in this competition that should have never happened and stuff like that. And the kids are, are all, you know, the, it's, it's the. Oh, what is what is the Little Miss Sunshine? It's that it's that type of thing, you know. Remember that movie with Steve Carell or something? And then it's a beauty pageant, and this girl goes, but it's basically just everybody goes and they get a trophy, and it's all. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's kind of that branch, but my daughters aren't in that. But um, but this this one this one mom, like she asked me, uh, I I had seen her out in the community, and she asked me about like the the there was the dance recital um and so it's you know it's a it's a i don't know at a theater anyway um and then she was like you know what'd you think of the dance recital and before i could say like i thought the kids like you know really did a good job and whatever she's like the timing was off like there shouldn't have been this many solos like people were not close enough to the end of the stage like this and this and just i mean just this litany and like, I'm going to pull my kid out of this. And there's this other dance teacher and all this other stuff. And, and I'm just like, I don't even know how the hell we got to this topic, but, I, but part of it is like my daughters, they came home and before this, like they're fun, they go in, they're doing their thing. 
but it's not like they get home and are obsessed with this or, I mean, because it's dance. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, these, these people who, who just get so vested into these things, which are superficial. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did I make, did I make any sense in going to dimensions? <laughs> Well, the, I, I was thinking there have always kind of been parents like that. Yeah. But they weren't the norm. You know, they were they were kind of fruitcakes that everyone else was kind of like, eh, you know. Like, I, I, was a, I was a TA 10 years ago, and I guess I saw the beginning of some of these phenomena that you're, uh, that you're talking about. Like, it, it was, it, it happened that like kids would just walk out of class or ignore the class or sit there and talk in class. But people were still a little freaked out by it. Like you'd have kids sitting there like with their computer or talking to each other and people would kind of look at them like, what are you doing? But it was starting right. to happen. Right. And there were, there were parents who would call me up as a TA to bitch about the group, to complain about the grade that their kid got. But it, from what you're saying, it seems like it's becoming the norm for the all the parents to be the stage parent and all the parents to get way too right. involved. Right. And even on my kids, um, on the district website, you know, parents taking on the district for trivial things and parents taking on parents. That's, that's the other thing. I saw that at the end of my administrative tenure, which was about four or five years ago, but it was, um, it was, it was the parents going after, after the other parents it was that was more of an issue at times than the kids and it would be and they would do it through facebook and i actually went i met with um i met with some parents like asked if i could meet with them and i'm like can you just knock this off like you're ripping parents of like these other kids like you're ripping teachers i mean it, it was all over just petty garbage type stuff. And these were actually, you know, well-to-do parents and stuff like that. And, and, uh, finally they took it down <laughs> and get this. Then like one of their friends like totally went on and just ripped me as like trying to manipulate these parents to like, you know, back off the district and stuff like that and started this thread that kind of got viral. There was an interesting point of that because one person got on and was totally then jumping in and like ripping me. And I'm looking, I'm like, I know this person. Like this is one of my friends <laughs> oh my in the God. profession. And so I got a hold and I'm like, um, did you 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 know this thread like you've been posting to? Like scroll up and up and up and scroll up a little more. Yeah, like that's me. Like, oh I'm sorry, I didn't know. Yeah, you know, like we yeah, this this person totally doesn't know what the hell they're doing and yeah, you know, you this is how you go to the boards. I'm like, do you oh I you don't ah. Oh. Wow. It spins that fast, and then yeah. Um, well, that's so, a, that's a, that's a great like encapsulation of just how dystopian social media has gotten. Like the way people will jump on a mob, and that that's that's almost, I'm I'm sorry it happened to you, but it's it's kind of funny, and like I I could see that as a plot device, just like not like what if you did that to your own wife you know <laughs> like you're jumping yeah. on this twitter mob and you don't know who it is but you're just part of this feral mob that's tearing apart a stranger because everyone else is and suddenly you realize like it's your wife <laughs> oh yeah and you know i didn't feel i didn't feel bad or or like threatened about it um or i don't know if i even felt dis disappointed i was i was it, i was just stunned yeah. Yeah. And, and, and thankfully, I mean, my friend was like, yeah, I totally, and, and 
you know, shouldn't have done this and I should have researched it. But I'm, but I'm like, even, even if it wasn't me though, dude, like the post wasn't cool. Like, because you don't know the context behind this and you know, all of that. And, uh, um, let me just make sure I'm touching on any, Oh, okay. So, and I, I had somebody say this to me the other day. So, um, a researcher, in the field of school safety. So kind of in my member check network, um, you know, someone that I really, uh, you know, invested in, in their, their feedback. And, and this person, this was right after, oh, the shooting. I, I mean, the Santa Fe shooting. Um, so, and I was, it was interesting because I, I usually get contacted by the big media after that. So I got contacted out of New York and, um, it's, it's always fascinating because I'm like, okay, I can send you like, you know, you, you go over 20 minutes with them on all of this stuff and I can like send you whatever. And then they like just take out two sentences or whatever. And I don't know, but, um, that one was actually done pretty well. But so we're talking, I was talking with a, a researcher about Santa Fe and, and here's, here's what he said to me. He was pondering if school shootings are going to start to be more prevalent at the university setting. He said, because really we are fun we are having having freshmen and sophomores and, and I mean that's kind of where he was focusing, but he said freshmen and sophomores are functioning at a level which ten, twenty years ago college freshmen, sophomores would have been really high school sophomores, juniors. So right. are we going to see people who are going to, because, you know, his theory on this, his soft theory was once you get to college, you kind of mature out of this active shooter approach, um, which I, I would say is kind of accurate. I mean, like down at UW-Madison, where I went to school, I mean, the campus is so wide open. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. Um, but, you know, again, you know, the premise that people would have developed their their rational thinking um, enough that the likelihood of a mass shooting at a campus like that is going to be relatively low versus a school where it's going to be much more kind of impulsive. And um, But that was his thing. He said to me, I think they were going to see the shift in the next few years where this is going to expand and it's going to be colleges and it's going to be people who are first, second year, and they're totally overwhelmed by the setting. They can't manage um, living, you know, away from their parents. They can't manage their courses. They can't manage getting up at time. They can't manage doing laundry. I mean, just everything. Plus, like, perceptual skills. Like, not everyone's there telling them they're doing, like, a great job and all of this. Um, and I was like, you know, um, I think you could be right. I, I think you could be right on with that. Um, so that freaks me out somewhat, but I mean, I, I couldn't find, a, I, I'm, I'm thinking of this and I'm like, yeah, I mean, if, if this is what we're doing is just making high school, if we're making the early years of college, at least until maybe you get into a graduate program, um, an extension of high school, then what is to say that we won't have this carry over into the university setting? Would, I, I don't know. So. Yeah. Um, 
Wow. It, it, it's really hard for me to get my mind around someone having that much trouble like with with not living at their parents' house. Like we were talking about yesterday, that, that 30-year-old kid whose parents had to kick him out. Like I was out at 17 and I was like, all right, I know how to run a laundry machine. You know, like how, right. how can you have that much trouble getting out of bed and putting quarters in a laundry machine? It's kind of, it's kind of alien to my thought process, people being that helpless, especially when they're like not four years old. <laughs> No, but I mean, I mean, I, I totally sound like get off my lawn right now. But I was, I was babysitting for other people's kids when I was eleven, like, and and now people are getting arrested for letting their twelve-year-olds walk to the park. Right. And we're yeah, we're 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 sort of larvifying kids, like, and as we're sort of touching on before, it's it's really not doing them any good. Like, as we were, you know, people, people, everyone has their pet theory about why school shooters happen. You know, some people think it's toxic masculinity. And some people think it's because the gun laws aren't strict enough. And some people think it's the aliens. But, you know, my, my pet theory is, you know, we've been saying, like, people aren't learning empathy. And, you know, I think, was it the Santa Fe shooter who specifically went over after the girl who rejected him? Yes. Yeah, and also was telling other students um, as he was was going through the school that he knew, like, I'm sparing you so you can tell my story. So I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when 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 I was in school, if you were a loner and an outsider, you just dealt with it. And and you know now, even the biggest loner outsider can find people on the internet to like like their nihilistic posts about how they're about how they're going to kill the popular kids you know and it and it it feeds into this fantasy that i'm important i got to tell my story it really it really is a global injustice this cute girl doesn't like me back and you combine that with dehumanizing other people like if most of your experience with other people is trying to get them to click like on your post you're going to see trying to get a girl to like you as just doing the same thing. Like, why won't she quick click like on my post? How, like, how hard could it possibly be for her? Like, she's evil. I have to shoot everyone in my school. Like, I'm, I'm kind of making it comical. But it's not that far to go from, like, dealing with other people as animals that you're trying to right. get. Right. To and as, on your- as, as you said, I mean, it becomes... Um, you become externally controlled, externally motivated, and you lose the ability, um, as you, you said, with cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, that doesn't exist, so it does become this nihilism. And, yeah, every everybody is out to not, not necessarily get you, but to undermine your efforts. And um, it, it, it's, it is, oh, my goodness. Um, I was telling... Because it was obviously, you know, I get a lot of calls um, because I do work in expert witness consulting specific, mostly to like school shootings and things like that. So pretty, pretty intense stuff. Um, And, you know, it was I read Dave Cullen's book about Columbine. And it was amazing that, you know, Klebold and Harris worked at a pizza, blackjack pizza. And and they they approached their boss so they could take off the day that they were going to do the shooting. So, you know, it's like, and one of them was a manager, but I mean, they were, they were pretty reliable, you know, they'd go up on the roof and smoke pot, you know, now and then, but they were pretty reliable. I mean, so, um, as you'd see in any, but they're like, you know, we need this day off. 
this day, um, how about, you know, boss, like, no, no, this, this day, we, we won't be here. And, um, yeah, and let's kind of keep things fluid after that. <laughs> we'll get back to you. And, 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 and I know this is bringing light, but I mean, it's like this unbelievable disassociation of we need this day because, um, yeah, our intent is to go in and to massacre, um, and, and, and the fact though, that you would take the time to do that detail and like the, you know, the man, the manager said they were, you know, decent kids to work with. I mean, they were, weren't, weren't great, weren't horrible. I mean, they were just your typical high school kids working at a pizza place. And I'm like, oh my God. I mean, that was even, that was really cold. I mean, that's really cold. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm wondering what they were thinking. Like, like obviously they kind of planned to die. So they didn't need a job to go back to. Maybe they just didn't want to put up a red flag if they just didn't show up. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because I'm guessing like the shift wouldn't have been during school. Huh. You know, either so um I, I just think it was something where there was part of the taurus or the similarity of their or the routine of it was just something of that never crossed their mind of of that was inconsequential um but but yeah oh, I, I i see i see what you're saying like they 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 they, 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 they weren't really grasping the reality of what they were doing right right this was just yeah a typical mechanical step um you know, it'd be like, um, yeah, Adam Lanza going and, and driving, and as he's walking away from the car, clicking the button to lock the car doors, you know, just so he's, as he goes up to the school. But, um, and, you know, and Nicholas and, and Cruz, so who did the Parkland shooting, so Cruz is receiving hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to his commissary fund through donors all over the world love letters, marriage proposals, all of these things, sacks of mail, which have been withheld from him. Not a lot of this is getting, you know, public attention, obviously, because it's kind of like, you know, they don't publicize the Golden Gate jumpers and the Tillman Bridge jumpers and near Hoover Dam and stuff like that. But, but it's one of these things too, of like, oh my, like that starts to get out and you are going to have kids saying, I'm going to be immortalized if I do this. Like I'm a nobody. Not, I mean, this is a, just a perception of I me mean, not, not having goals or whatever. And not that, again, there isn't a profile necessarily, but I mean, this becomes, you become infamous. And yeah. now if you want, you're rejected by this, this, I mean, you're going to have 10 proposals. You are going to have, um, I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. I mean, if, if Hamlet had had that option, I wonder what he would have done. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That is, that is deep. Wow. So I want to, I want to bring back the cry rooms one more time because I think there was an interesting point of how the cry rooms were introduced. So the cry rooms, at least I didn't see these until this past year. Um, so the safe rooms, yeah, kind of got that. It's been out there for a while but then the cry rooms and they were introduced as art. So that was, that was your guys. That was, that was your parachute. If this all fell apart that, Oh, it's just art. Like this is just in. And as soon as like people realized they weren't going to get pushed on it, um, then the art tag went away. 
Then it was, no, this is done for, yeah, psychological support and all of that. And again, you know, I'm, it, it, it was the goofiest thing because, I mean, you could, you could find these things, you know, through Google searches and stuff. But, I mean, they'd be, like, in very prominent places. So, like, everybody would see you go into the cry room. <laughs> and and like, I'm sure that everybody would hear you, like, crying and then come out and, I'm fine. I'm good. Um, yeah. And and part of that had to be like fire code too. Like you 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 had to have a, a a room that exited into, you couldn't just like go into a closet and stuff like that. But I mean, it was. I'm thinking of, I ah, just like how that person would feel entering that room or walking out. I mean, it's like almost a walk of shame. I mean, not that a person should be ashamed, but I mean, it's like, um, I ah I. If you need, if you're really struggling, I mean, now you're showcasing with a time with a timer, a ten minute timer to get your get your life together, which is totally absurd. Yeah, like the room is magical and the room provides whatever, and and you just yeah just, and and the crying is this, you know, um, this emesis type process. I I I don't know. It's like you you put your process. you put your brain in the oven for ten minutes and you take it out and it's done. You're good and you walk out and everything's cool and stuff like that. I'm like, um, but again, this doesn't get challenged, and the fact that it doesn't get challenged means we'll start seeing this on on in high schools. We'll start seeing this middle schools, maybe elementaries. It's vetted now, and if you go against this, you you can consider your job gone. And as an expert witness, one of the things that's freaking me out right now, and, I, and, and I'm a person who's very, very diligent. Like I went through 17,000 pages in one case last year and really, I mean, worked very hard with the legal team on um, putting together, you know, the expert witness report and, and being very exacting on every deposition and multiple cross depositions and things like this, policies, whatever. Um, but I mean, what I'm seeing right now is I'm getting a flurry of expert witness requests and they're different. They're not like, um, you know, the, the, the shooter, or it's not like a student who completed suicide and the parents had contacted the district and had communications. What's happening now is it's, it's teachers or it's, um, school principals and whatever. And, you know, they're, and, and they're saying, um, I've been accused of creating a hostile work environment. It's not like I'm, I've been accused of sexual harassment or something like that. No, it's I've been accused of bullying, harassment, violating the non-discrimination policy and things like this. So right there, that's all subjective, like right. trying to figure out what does that really mean and then trying to get. Um, so, I, there, I mean, I have people come. So attorneys contact me and they're saying, you know, we're representing the clients and, and then if I have an interest first, you know, do you, do you have a conflict with whatever, whatever the names and I don't represent anyone and, or I don't get involved in stuff in Wisconsin. So usually it's always a no. Um, but it is, it's totally freaking me out because like, I don't, I have no advice to offer for the first time, like ever. I have no, cause sometimes I'll just tell attorneys. I'm like, I think the approach you're taking is like really horrible <laughs> on this. Like I, I, and then they're like, either they'll change or they'll say like, we'll just go with somebody else. And it's fine. But, um, so what happens though is these people, they, and it's because of stuff like th 
things like this. Um, and it's even like their peers, like, like, you know, a professor, a, a principal, and then, you know, the principal, the assistant principal doesn't feel supported that they've used, um, a safe space or something like that. But anyway, um, so you have this allegation and immediately your email is froze. Again, your access to records is froze. All of your documentation in, in your, your records. So I talk a lot about documentation records, but you're, it's done. You're walked out. They search your bags. If you have any emails that you've copied. Um, and so like it's subjective it comes against you. And then it's the old HR tactics. And Aaron and I are going to talk at some point on HR. Aaron, Aaron's always like, we're going to schedule a show. And we never schedule a show. And then he's like, tell me, Dave, about the 10, th- the 10 things everybody needs to know about safety. I'm like, 10 things? I'm like, my God, like, let's go like with three things. Like, not 10. But anyway, um, so these people are just like screwed. They have yeah. no defense. And, and then the only option they really have is do you want to take it public that you had a hostile i mean that sounds horrible i yeah. mean um do you want to take it public or they'll say you know the old hr thing will be you know you can resign and then it'll just be that you're going on to pursue other opportunities and things like that and 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 then that's it and these huh? these careers are just crumbling like i've seen these and so i contacted um other expert witnesses people in the fbi that i know and then like attorneys around the country um and and they're just like striking out too like there's i'm saying how do you defend against this yeah um and how do you and you know one of them's like well you know had some plans of like how you could keep records like kind of under the table through like a secret browser type thing but then he's like of course then they would nail you on that that you had copies of confidential so um so I think these safe rooms and cry rooms will have no resistance. And if you, if you do come in with a position of resistance, uh, whether you're a peer, um, whether you're an administrator, um, some type of board member, um, just whatever, um, you're, you're, you're going to be ripped down unless you change your tune. Um, but you, you'll be separated from your employment. It won't matter. And so that is, I've never had it happen ever in my career where I've, I've usually been like, hmm, I'm not sure on this. Like, let me, I'm going to, you know, go around with my network and, and like one of the per- people I really trust, I mean, who's published a lot and who's, who's, who, he's like, I don't know. I, I'm, I honestly do not know like an approach to this. So it scares me because I think all of us become vulnerable. And I think the harder you push to achieve and the harder, harder you push others, um, you know, down the road. So let's say my, my, you know, daughters get out and they get into some management, you know, position in whatever, um, an employee feels like they've been asked to do too much or, you know, whatever, and comes up against them and says, you're creating a hostile work environment. Their career could be over. And I have no advice to give them. And yet, like, I'm supposed to be a world leader in this. You know, I'm the person that gets called after Santa Fe. It's not that I'm everything, but I mean, this is like my one niche of like something I'm really good at. Um, and I am, I'm terrified because it broadens out to the societal thing, kind of as you've, as you've said with, um, is it life where the man lives in Southern Illinois? 
Yeah. Okay. And then, um, you know, ends up with, with a child that he never intended and now has his life totally changed and, and has to live, um, live that life. It's kind of like the life can be hijacked now just through an accusation. And the path of least resistance, and the and the fact is, these aren't good things. Like, and I can't even point that out. I mean, even like this show, like there's gotten to be a point in my career, um, in the last two three years, where I'm like, there are certain shows I've done, certain papers I've written, where like I know doors have slammed shut forever because I've done some of these things. Yeah. Um, and that's okay because of other things like that I have done and have fostered to kind of keep things fine. So I can do this at 46. If I was 36, I couldn't. Um, I absolutely would have to keep my mouth shut on this because I couldn't risk it for my family and the livelihood and stuff. Uh, so, oh, I mean, and I, I don't know. So, I mean, do you feel that way or do you feel that way too with maybe some of your your writing because I mean one thing you shared with me and I don't you can share it now or not but two like even trying to advertise your books the the um, pushback you get on the advertising has been pretty pretty substantial yeah I, I couldn't even run a Kindle ad for one of my books because it's it's first it said the word pussy on the cover and then I took that off and there was a guy hanging himself on the cover and they wouldn't let me run that ad either but more important it almost doesn't matter what you write or what you say. If it's mildly controversial, if someone decides to stick a label like alt-right or Holocaust denier or whatever it is, like you, you're you're just screwed. I'm. And oh, you're right, right. And you know, I I don't want to I don't want to you know start spewing hyperbole, but. One of the one of the one of the things they were talking about the monk debate. Um, one of the, one of the people who was arguing pro political correctness. She's she's so inconsequential. I can't even remember her name. Very nice lady. What <laughs> yeah. was trying to you, you know? There's there's sort of this argument that's used against feminists that their arguments are all about the way they feel and they're not about the way things are really. Working like I feel like there's a conspiracy of men that's out to get me. Well, you you kind of have to be be a, be a bit more substantial. And she was trying to turn that around on people who are arguing against political political correctness by saying, "Well, you just you just feel like you're being censored. You just feel like there's this atmosphere where you can't speak." And and I was I was I I couldn't believe she could say that with a straight face. Like people have lost their livelihood, people have lost their careers, and she, you know she'll point to counterexamples like Jordan Peterson, where he's making a lot more money after he gets attacked, but she's not taking into account the thousands of people who, you know, like you said, like 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 your clients who someone denounces them just for saying, hey, uh, I don't think that kid should be in the cry room just because he doesn't want to take his test. And then they're creating a hostile environment, and their career is gone. They're not famous. They're not being rewarded for being attacked by the mob. Like there's there's this this almost like East German kind of conformity being enforced by this 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 culture of well, I maybe humans are social animals, and there's always going to be a culture of conformity that's enforced. But 
there has to be a better way of going about doing an end run around this this sort of like you must conform to ridiculous like like you said there's there's no evidence that shows that cry rooms are good for people and we've gone over the evidence for the fact that they're actually bad for people and they stop you from learning to deal with your feelings and they stop you from developing empathy but if you say like i don't think that's a good idea for the kids you can have your career ruined and no one will ever hear about you right right yeah it is it is amazing, um, you know, the new human resources tactics and even the very specific language that they'll they'll use and um, and so I can identify this pretty pretty fast. But um, any you know, so it it is. I received um, oh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was it was a case, and it had three school principals who had all been accused of of contributing to a hostels, you know, environment in the school because of That's whatever. That's such dystopian language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and, and of course, that is what's in policy now. So that goes back to policy. But then it's this whole thing, too, of like you have so many days to investigate it, like from the, and, and usually the investigations are always, you know, you never, you never see the documents in the investigation. Like you can ask for those as the legal counsel, but um, something happened there. Was, I, I did find out through one of my connections that there was something where like HR was given more time to turn over um, files than in the past, like something in the last couple of months had changed. So I'm like, okay, this probably contributes to this. Plus, like, I just believe in general, most attorneys, um, now that everything is more right to work and less union based, um, you know, that unions would be able to get their hands on servers and things like that. And at least, you know, get some of the evidence of the communication of like, no, really like uh, our, you know, this, this employee did contact you indicating that they had a concern about X, Y, Z, and you weren't responding to it. And, you know, that's why some people were getting in the building through whatever entrance at night, you know, because, you know, you were assigning them to, to two different duties or something like that. Um, but, you know, th- those days are gone. So, I mean, this, this kind of third party looking out looking out for you so it is like everyone so i mean if you work on your by yourself maybe you're a little better off and the cases that i get involved in um, are often like uh, parents litigating against schools in those cases the parents have the emails that they've sent and they have the certified letters and they have every so i have it all right there and it's the schools who typically play hardball in that and they're like you know we don't have a handbook to show you I'm like, okay, we'll just put an ad in the paper for $25 for handbooks from the last five years. And by the way, if we see revisions in these handbooks, like I will make sure to denote every single one of those in the evidentiary report that I put together. Oh, that changes the tune pretty fast. Or, yeah, we have so, – so you have certain levers that you can kind of pl- – you're in a huge power position. But if, like, you're on the other side of that um, – you know, and and you're being, it, I'm saying school, but it could be just a, a corporation or whatever, and they, they dismiss you and you're gone. Um, you know, we always hear these things of this preaching of document everything and records, which is great, except like when they separate that. And I'm even, I, I'm not completely convinced that records don't disappear. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I I am just not trustworthy of you know, the, the employer, that the employer is going to keep the records with fidelity. And, oh, like, you know, 
there was a pro- here the problem with the backup on this day, so we don't have all of this. Um, I'm really, I, I really believe that the you know, especially now I work with lawyers, um, and I will say like you know I work with ethical lawyers, and if I felt I was working with a lawyer that wasn't doing something ethical, I would exit from that. And I have that like right in my you know retainer agreements and all of that. But like I'm, I've seen some really wacky stuff that it, it it's just uh yeah you say dystopian you know like cases where something happens and then all of a sudden yeah someone's office is like completely like emptied out and it's taken like to the lawyer's house like all in boxes like during the middle of the night and the you know a kid's locker is completely emptied out and then what's brought back to the parents is maybe like a notebook and like a hat or something like that oh that's all that was in there like the hell that's all that was in there there was more than that you know and and so I, I don't know, but, ah, uh, I get, I, it, it freaks me out because I feel like I should have the answers. And I feel like when people come to me, um, um, people come to me looking for the answers and I don't have them and I can't get them. I get even more <laughs> like, Holy Christ, what's going on here? Um, and I, I, I don't know. I don't want to be, I don't want to be like, so I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to measure my words. Um, I want to be expressive and I just want to do what I do. But you know, it's, it's one of these things where it, it literally is, is getting to the point where, you know, it can be something you say that gets interpreted in a different way or the, the you, you, you know, gave someone a look that they interpreted as, as whatever, or even if you, if you pause somebody before they leave, just ask a clarifying question on something. Well, you were interrupting their path between that. And so there's such a vast amount of lying that occurs now. And that is taken as truth by the majority of people, because it's the first thing they hear. Like that's, one of the one of the major dystopian things about the internet is like rumors rumors get started like bullshit gets spread and people just believe it oh yeah yeah absolutely there is there is uh, very little vetting of of information cross checking of information anything like that um yeah and people take it and it just becomes this is what it is and especially when it gets to be really really subjective um it's it's hard to say that that isn't accurate and you also i believe have this thing um i talked about it on a pbs presentation i did on school security five years ago as of yesterday may 22nd 2013 um where i I cited a research study a longitudinal research study that also said people's perceptual skills um are deteriorating like meaning as I'm watching you right now, I'm like, I don't know if Anne's happy, if she's sad because she's nodding. Like, it, so like right now you're smiling. So it's obviously like a smile, but they would go through and and people would say, instead of you know the smile, they're like, I'm not sure, I'm unsure of this, or I I think she might be unhappy with me, or they're, I mean they're they're taking they're defaulting to expecting a negative response or a, a neutral response, unless you're very much like great job and here's your verbal, like, and here's your, 
star and everything like that and 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 yeah so um you know i think that plays into it too again and and you've 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 led to that previously but you know with books you know and saying and, and books have been I, I just watched a clip out of like foreign fahrenheit 451 the new version coming out and i'm like timely i mean cause yeah like, what the hell yeah yeah, well, I, 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 I could go on about like the things that are dystopian and scary about the books world right now. Like, you know, p- people aren't reading, so the market slice is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And instead of trying to work together to get people to read and increase the pie, writers are trying to label each other as Nazis or alt-right or like, like, well, this, this guy looked at a girl's boobs for too long, so we can't read his books. Like instead of trying to grow the reading community, writers, writers are like cutting each other off at the knees to try and get the 10 readers that are left. It's just, it's, it's, it's filthy and absurd. And yeah. And that's horrible. I mean, because then that translates to what is available for youth and adults, you know, for yeah, you know, for for reading. Yeah, I mean, I've been complaining for years that part of the reason readership has been going down is because, like, before you could publish your own book on Amazon, there was so much nepotism in the publishing industry that just these jackass rich kids who have connections in New York were the only people who were getting published. So, of course, they're publishing terrible books that are just about, like, their life in, you know, an apartment that mommy paid for in Brooklyn. No one wants to read that. So people stop reading new novels. So even if you're putting out a good novel, no one wants to read it because they assume it's garbage like everything else. And that's kind of dovetailed with this sort of, like, you know, the, the science fiction is the most extreme example. There's just this left-wing mafia that runs science fiction. Like, the, the biggest science fiction uh, publisher tour, I, I had a friend who went through their publishing list from last year, and he found out that every single person they published was friends with the same woman. And wow. and they're all, yeah, and they're all, um, you know, they're they're all the same ideology. Like, I think... Same, same friend was telling me uh, the the wife the the lesbian wife of someone who won a nebula last year got a nebula this year. I, I'm not sure if that's the exact sequence, but like you know, she married a, a famous science fiction writer and like got a nebula for her first first novel. Like and 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 so it's garbage, of course. If like the the chances that everyone who's a good novelist this year has the same ideology and knows the same people are zero. But that's what's getting, yeah, they're zero. Like, maybe in, if, if you spun out a billion parallel universes, that would happen once. I doubt it happened here. <laughs> you know? and, and, and so people aren't reading it because they pick it up and they're like, well, this is garbage written by someone's wife or sister or ideological cousin. And then they toss it across the room and they just go watch TV. So, you know, instead of, working together to grow the readership share and maybe get people reading novels and having empathy and not deciding to shoot some girl because she wouldn't click like on my penis. They're just fighting like cats and dogs over the 10 readers that are left. And all those readers are their friends. <laughs> it's, it's just this disgusting spectacle. I, mean, I, I could go on, on about it for hours, but now I'm starting to feel like I might lose my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> 
So as we close, and and this is this has been incredible. So I, I appreciate um, just everything that we've we've talked about, um, and that was and not and, but um, so let's say that you know we are in um what is it? Aaron's older brother and 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 he has some type of discussion of like you know what do, what do we tell just everybody out there to try to to bring some common sense back to things like like this even like a starting point even like the one not the whole rope but just like a couple threads to it's like okay like there could be more coming down and we could weave it and this could be a way that we elevate ourselves um what would kind of be your advice of like a a starting point let's say you did you you did have an audience that was really interested in in listening to the message what would the message be um it would probably be well first read a good book so that you can understand the way people other people think and not a book by your friend unless your friend is a literary genius but read a, like read a kingsley amos novel if you're a female you know um but one thing that I find really helpful is people get so wrapped up in politics and you know those are our major tribes now. I'm a leftist, I'm a right winger and people get into this mindset where if they're not constantly rooting for their team like the other side is going to win. Yeah. And and it's almost like they have this medical metaphysical belief that like their brain waves are somehow affecting, you know, the, the hive mind that is our political system. Like, no, you can, you can unplug from politics for a while and you can go study law or study literature or, you know, study psychology. You can, you can disengage from this sort of tug of war and go do something else. And, come back to it with a little more perspective because politics is important, but people are starting to see that as the way they run their social lives and the way they run their whole brain. And it eventually turns into a lack of empathy and a lack of perspective on politics because you're not in touch with the rest of human life that the political structure is supposed to be facilitating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right on. I, I think you're right on with that. And, um, you know, I have a number of, of, you know, novels that I just, I haven't gotten around to reading. One, and one of the things, um, I was mentioning this to somebody today that, because they said, because, um, you know, with what Memorial Day coming up in the longer weekend, what do you want to do? And I said, one of the things is like, I have this specific novel, and it's not a novel about, you know, school shootings or whatever it's it's you know and and i said it's um i've 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 wanted to read it for a while and i've had it for like a year and i just and i'm gonna read it like i i'm excited and i actually feel better like and i feel like i'm a better person after i'm done reading or as as i'm going through this like it's 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 rejuvenating um i and you're right i feel like i approach everything in life better whether it be politics or or I mean, it, it just goes down. And um, so that was something where I'm like, you know, th- it is so stupid to uh, of me, like to prioritize other things over that, which I knew and know makes me 
feel good, makes me reflective, makes me think, and I learn, and I'm, I'm able to pull at it. So, and you know, and I didn't read Disaster Fitness, but I'm I'm kind of a fitness freak at times. Like about oh, I, so I, I run most nights, and then we have a track not too far from here. I usually get like the police will usually pull in and throw like the you know the five thousand candle you know or light on me even though i have like a vest and then they'll question me what are you doing tonight running and uh, <laughs> actually i got stopped i got stopped and one and one officer was asking me if i knew the outcome of uh some of the football games it was during the nfl uh season and because he was on shift like the whole day and, and actually like it took about 30 seconds to build a rapport and then it was like yeah i've got yeah, I've got the paperwork. I gotta get done on this, and and you can't log in. Like if you're in here, and I can't get the thing. He's like, "Do you know? Like you know, whatever." I'm like, "Yeah, actually, like I do. Like I do know, and and stuff." So it was like this totally cool conversation while people are driving by, and I'm like next to a squad car, not with the lights on, but I'm like, oddly. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I'm so we have like 90 degrees coming up this weekend, and I, I'll be out biking like 70, 80 miles. Like I will uh-huh. just like pack, and I'll just like go. And my mind will just like go boom. Eventually, 20 miles in, will go empty, and I'll be thinking is is you know what I'm feeling through the tires, you know the the feedback from the road, and then I'll be hearing the breeze coming through the the leaves, and eventually. I'll just kind of cycle through like all of that and my mind will just, um, it, it does, it, it, it just, everything kind of flushes out and then I can just kind of come back in. But, uh, but I think you're right, you're right on with, um, and, and it is a book too, too, that I want to get, but because, um, first of all, I mean, fitness is just absolutely critical and important because it's, 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 it is so stupid to not take care of yourself. And like, yeah. I, I think you said, you know, you, you've, you've not been one of these people who's like been out of shape, but it's one of those things like I did get out of shape and I needed to like really get back into shape. Um, but you, but getting up too. I mean, there's so many times like even in winter in Wisconsin, you know what it's like. Yeah. I hate this, (laughs) you know, which is like a month ago we had snow. I, I went out running three nights ago so it's gonna be 90s this weekend three nights ago i had a winter jacket and a hat on you know it was like 41 degrees and windy and i was still cold i should have wore gloves but um but yeah so disaster fitness i'm checking it out uh what i've read really has me intrigued because i think you get at at two like the you know using the motivation of kind of all of these like things that are fighting within you, which are maybe some of the things that we almost talked about today to some extent. I mean, people could take it and say it could be, you know, about relationships and about, you know, other things. But I mean, I think it can be all of these things that you just let dictate you from society and and ratchet you up. And it's like, boom, spin that, turn that out into, to, you know, fit, you know, working instead of just sitting down on the couch and and logging in and and reading through all of the garbage that is fed to you through news feeds or just that you're like uh it just all sucks and i'm just gonna stay like in bed and just like sleep (laughs) until 11 and then you know just do whatever i don't know but yeah it, it really helps to have sort of a meta cognition of wait wait okay i i i like to think of myself and other human beings as complex but i am kind of a chemical soup Okay, so this is happening in the chemical soup. I could change that. Like, I can go do something that will change what's going on in here. 
And like once, once you train yourself to remember that fact, which is hard, things get a lot easier. It, it gets a lot easier to get out of that. Yeah, I think you were saying like the, the path of least resistance. I mean, we can, we can revert to that. Um, and, and again, I mean, it's just, I, I guess it's metaphorical for everything we've kind of talked about today. I mean, the path of, of least resistance. And, but if, even if we talk about challenging ourselves. Um, so in closing, to my right, so these, this is for the people watching on YouTube, which is a smaller audience, but the people watching or the people listening definitely be out there. So I had a, I had a new computer system built for, so I have three monitors in front and I have um, quite a bit of equipment because of the, the legal work that I do. I need to be able to do stuff, um, various with attorneys and courts and stuff like that. But so the, I had this guy like totally build this high end computer. Like, I mean, totally every single component. Um, and it's all solid state Ram and all of this stuff. And he really knows what he's doing, but it, at the same time, he's a little sketchy, you know? So I, I trust you like, and, but you know, a little fringy. So anyway, like he opens up a drawer and so I have like all these small bags and uh, there's, they're pill bags. And the reason I, you know, got them was to store the little, the nuts that go on in the computer parts. And so I've got, and for my bike, like I have little, that's, it's called a Schrader valve on my tires, but then there's like a converter that has to go on and all these little things. So like I can label it and then I can put it in so I know where it is. And like, they're just really convenient, but of course they like sell them in like 500 and I only need whatever. So he's like, Oh man, like these are really, really cool. Um, <laughs> like, you know, I used to have bags like this and, and then, uh, so I'm like, and then he goes back to it like a couple times as he's like setting up the computer. He's like, you know, kind of stimming a little bit on the bags, like, you know, and, and stuff. I'm like, do you want them? I mean, I, I need like three, I need three, like, you know, I kind of know what you're saying here, you know? So like, if you want them, they're yours, they're yours. You don't, they're just yours. Just thank you for doing, you know, and the guy's face just like, it was like, you know, he was just like, thank you. Hell of, hell of a guy you are. You're a great customer. I'm upgrading your fan. I was going to put in the shit fan. You're getting the blue lighted fan. Just between you and I. So, I mean, it was one of those moments where I'm like, it was just, I'm like, you know, you're not causing any, you're, you know, this whatever. But yeah, yeah, this whole thing. This And I'm like, I'm never, I have no use, you know, for these. But you have a use for them. You definitely have a, a use in mind. For these, and we don't have to transact this. You can just have these, like you know. So yeah, he probably posted on Facebook that night. Hell of a day! Damn these customers. Every once in a while, every once in a while, you get one, makes your day. <laughs> All right, Ann Sturzinger. You can find her at annsturzinger dot com. Um, please check out Amazon. Really, I, I, I'm saying this with full conviction. Um, I am excited to place that order, and I guess I'll do it through uh, Aaron Clary's CaptainCapitalism.blogspot.com um, Amazon affiliate page on the right-hand side um, and click there so he gets a 6 to 7% commission. Um, but... No, seriously, folks, um, check it out. And Anne is on different me um, means of social media, podcasts. 
Um, you've published different essays. I've, I've come across, you know, different works that you've, you've put out there. Um, but I'm very excited because it resonates with, with me. I love it. I think you're super talented. I actually watched a video that you did in French just because I'm like, that's just really, I don't understand it, but I'm like, that's really cool. And then underneath in the comments or something you said, actually, like if I was speaking this in French, I'd do it louder or something like that. So, um, but I was like, so, I mean, you're brilliant. You're per, you, you have a great perspective. Um, just I'm appreciative that I was able to learn that you're out there and your work is out there. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. And thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. And I know that this is going to help people because there will be people, obviously, who, a lot of people I think that feel exactly the same way. And they're like, I could never go on a show because like if my employer saw that link, like I would be called in and that would be the end. Um, and I, I, you know, so I think we're going to be able to help some people at least think about that. And, and it's one of those things, you know, if you find out that other people have similar feelings, it's just validating. It's like, oh, my goodness, like I, I feel better now, yeah. um, even though like maybe I got to process my situation and how this relates to me and whatever, but I feel better. So, and I feel better. So, and you're awesome. You rock. Um, anything closing? I, I just thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your kindness. This has been the safety doc podcast with author radio show host and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.